When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 386 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Andy Hilton, and I have the pleasure of being joined by Spanish football expert, Alan Feely. How's it going? Not too bad, Dan. Um, we're, what, two, three weeks into the season now, so we've got enough information available to us to properly kind of get a grip on things. So, yeah, looking forward to discussing the beginning to La Liga season, and obviously specifically to Barcelona season with you. Well, yeah, after winning 4 nothing against Real Valladolid, the lead... I don't think too many culés are really popping off as if that result dictates exactly how successful Barcelona is going to be this season. When you look at how unsuccessful we all by the lead will, I think there was a lot of kind of checking egos at the door when it came to culés after that result. However, a 4-0 win followed by a 4-1 victory against Real Sociedad, having started the year with kind of a bump on the road from Brian Vaccano, who certainly did play a, a, a well-played match, a solid match. It seems to me that... Barca and Real Madrid, even with Barca already dropping a point, looked like a class above. So we're going to do Real by the lead. We'll talk about all the details in that. But the bigger, broader picture so far that you're getting from around the Liga here. Real Betis and Villarreal, they seem to be in that next class. Maybe Osasuna too seem to be in that next class right down below Barca and Real Madrid. And then the rest, starting with Athletic Club and Atletico Madrid. And I think it's everybody else even beyond that, right? It seems like the different classes are starting to establish themselves. But again, we're three weeks in ebbs and flows. Do we expect Sevilla to be this low? No. Do we expect even Valencia to be this low? Probably, <laughs> right? And then who will be the relegation sides that, other than Real Valladolid, lead, that will show themselves through time, right? Mallorca, even getting, what, they have four points right now? That's a, that's a big deal for Mallorca at this point, looking at the, 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 the lineup that they're putting out and the squad that they have. But that said, it does, to me, seem like it's Barca and Real Madrid and the summer spending in the Liga, even looking at last week, the only goal that Barca have conceded this year came at the feet of Alexander Isak, who is no longer in Spain because he went for 70 million euros to, to Newcastle, right? And that goal was not 70 million euros, like the deal was pretty much already done before that. But that said, it's a matter of Barca and Real Madrid as the only teams with any financial backing, and you could argue whether Barca even had that to do that, but that financial backing that Barca and Real Madrid have that just everybody else in the league did not have this year with the... the La Liga limit, salary limitations that were put forth by the league and every other team seemed to be hamstrung. And 
it seems like that is going to recreate the duopoly that we were so worried about. Is that three games in a bit too dramatic when I say it like that? No, I think you're pretty right. I think that in my perspective, at least, there's basically three divisions in La Liga at the moment. There's the top two, as you mentioned, Barcelona and Real Madrid. There's kind of a cabal of teams from third place down to maybe eighth place. And I would include Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, Real Betis, uh, Villarreal, Real Sociedad and Asasuna. And maybe even Athletic Club as well. Um, but then, aside from that top nine teams, maybe, there's the teams fighting relegation, basically. And I really do think that, say, you have the two teams who are fighting for the title, Madrid and Barcelona. Then you have that cabal of teams I mentioned from third down to ninth or tenth, maybe if you include Valencia as well, who are fighting for the European places. Um, some for the Champions League places, some for the Europa League places, some for the Conference League places. But there really isn't that much between them. And there's not a great deal of quality there, to be honest with you, because Atletico obviously aren't in a great moment this season, it seems. They didn't recruit well over the summer. There isn't really much positivity in their own the camp. Um, Villarreal are looking good so far, but they're notoriously inconsistent. Um, Real Betis are having trouble registering their players financially. Sevilla are in a very poor moment. Real Sociedad are a good side, but they're again, they have problems with consistency, especially in the back half of the campaign. Um, and then the likes of Asasuna and Athletic Club and um, Valencia are all you know big clubs and decent teams, but it remains to be seen whether they can maintain that challenge over the course of a 38-game season. Um, and then if you look at the bottom half of the table, say maybe from 11th place to 20, literally anybody could go down. Genuinely mm-hmm. is quite a competitive relegation fight this season because of the lack of resources in the league, because of the t- tendency of promoter clubs to do quite well when they come up to La Liga. So it's interesting because the league does seem to be very divided this season. I think that, like you mentioned, the top two are a class above everybody else. There's that cabal of teams chasing European football and there's teams who are trying to stave against relegation. So it is quite interesting how the league already, even three match days in, is quite kind of separated and quite demarcated. Yeah, and I feel like now focusing really on that title race, the early title race, if you will, of Barca and Real Madrid. Yes, Barca have already dropped a point, sure. But I felt like, as has always been the case, like when a few weeks ago I went on a Real Madrid podcast and they were going after me a bit about, you know, just about the difference between Barca and Real Madrid. And I kept going back to it where whether you're talking about financially, whether you're talking about the way that these teams are built, I mean, yes, the whole Champions League thing with Real Madrid, what they do there and the way they navigate that competition is different than Barcelona. I could argue that the way that Barcelona navigates the Copa del Rey through the years is different than the way Real Madrid, right? And it's just what trophy are we counting more and which one matters more for teams. But... Barca and Real Madrid, even this season, I feel like they're looking in the mirror at one another as far as how they're going to get results, where they're going to find those results. And both of these offenses should easily win the Liga. I think in through three games, that's very clear, that both these offenses are fully capable of just being the top team. And it, it's almost going to be unfair to the other offense that only Robert Lewandowski's led line or Kareem Benzema's led line will win the Liga. But those defenses look like the reason they will win the league in the early going, again, for both of these teams as well. I mean, so I, I don't know. Alan, do you think that, does it matter if Lewandowski and Benzema are battling it out for the Pichichi Trophy? Is, is that really going to help us decide or figure out who's going to win the league? Because again, so far, it seems like these defenses are better than we expected. And that's what's making Real Madrid and Barcelona look so strong in the early going. I think one difference between the two is that Barcelona have more options in the attacking line because, I mean, well, as things stand, the window hasn't closed yet. So we still have Memphis and Aubameyang in the squad, even though Memphis is probably going to leave. But Aubameyang is more uncertain, it seems. But if you have Aubameyang backing up Lewandowski or maybe even Ferran or Anzu, who can also play through the middle, that gives you a lot more options than Real Madrid have because Real Madrid currently only have Eden Hazard backing up Benzema. So if Benzema was to get injured or to lose his form, as unlikely as that would seem, they have a lot less to fall back on than Barcelona do. Similarly, Barcelona have options in the right wing with Hafinha and Ousmane Dembele on the left wing with Ferran Anzu as well. So they do have plenty of choices in those attacking positions that Madrid don't really have. They're very much reliant on Vinicius Jr. and Karim Benzema um, to score goals, basically. And that, that's two good players to be reliant on, of course, to the two world-class footballers who are mm-hmm. clutch footballers as well. But the issue remains that if one of them was to get injured, they'd be severely lacking, whereas Barcelona have more options to choose from right now. But that could change between now and the transfer window. But yeah, defensive thing is issue is interesting for sure. I think Barcelona have more chaos there right now, which is more consistency because they have the backline from last season. Of course, Rudiger has come in. 
and it's created that issue where who you're going to play at centre back. But in general, their defensive structure is quite well organised already. The goalkeeper is indisputed. Um, Carvajal will play right back. Either Fernand Mendy or David Alb will play centre back. Either Militao and Alaba or Militao and Rudiger will play centre back or Rudiger and Alaba or however it works. So that's a quite a solid and functional defensive unit. We know they play three in midfield or a double pivot with, you know, Aurelien Chomeni, Eduardo Camavinga, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric. It's quite organised and seamless in that sense. Um, Barcelona, by contrast, are a bit more disorganised. Obviously, you have, in my opinion, one of the most exciting centre-back partnerships in European football, in Jules Koundé and Ronald Araujo, but they haven't actually played together yet because either Koundé or Araujo is playing a right-back because of lack of a right-back. Um, Xavi's been playing three at the back some games, four at the back in other games, chopping and changing midfield still isn't completely structured properly because of the uncertainty around Frankie Young's future. Um, the right-back situation is the biggest issue for me. Um, Left-back situation too is up in the air. Um, Mark andy Trostegen is not in the same class of goalkeeper as Thibaut Courtois, even though his distribution is very good. He has looked better so far this season, but you know let's see him sustain it for a whole campaign. But no, no, let's more... count our ticket before they hatch. No, no, yeah, let's count our ticket before they hatch. No, <laughs> yeah, he's back. No. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, in but... great games, but yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of just uncertainty in the back line. I mean, I, I think if they bring in a right back, and it was a good right back, balls becomes the player we hope he can become, and they settle on that Kunde and Araujo partnership. It's a very strong defence, but it's not good to have Jordi Alba and Pique sitting on the bench every game, the camera constantly looking at them. Like, that could become a problem as the season progresses. It's just more question marks defensively for me around Barcelona than around Real Madrid, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. That fullback situation is a consideration. Because even Balde, who's now got two straight starts under Xavi, which was even a surprise for me at the start of this season, because as the listeners pod know, I was, saw him injured for the last two years. You know, he was probably the best 16-year-old left-back prospect that Barcelona had in their academy. I mean, arguably ever, if not for, I guess, Juan Miranda would be the other one who was so highly rated. And so for him to be injured for the last two years, kind of struggle with Barca B even last year, and then hit the ground running the way he is, is a surprise. Again, preseason, he impressed. And you get the sense that Marcus Alonso, the reports are that he is on his way that he's still coming, that that is not yet dead. And I still don't know about that because even give me all Alba and Balde or give me Alba, Balde, and Alonso, I feel the same way about that left-back rotation. If anything, you're stunting the growth of Balde a bit. I've been against that Alonso, that Alonso move for a long time. Um, and it seems like if Xavi's out on Sergio Dest at right-back, I argue that he was also could be the third option at left-back, and yet it seems like he's not even an option at right-back, but he seems like he's sticking around. And now you have this rotation of Dest who's not there, who's going to have to wait till January, and also the World Cup, which is insane to me. You know, I, I'm arguing with, as people know, I have an affiliation with Major League Soccer, and I was talking to some of our talent, I was working with them, and I kind of warned them a few m- weeks and months ago, like, hey, whether injury or rotation, it's not guaranteed that Sergino Des is going to be hit the World Cup running. And that is unfortunately proven to be true. As much as I do believe in him, it seems like that positional play is something that Xavi's never going to be down for. And so then it leads to Sergio Roberto, who I said is going to play a lot more this season than Barca fans are going to be happy with. But looking at right back in that market, you have Sant Munier from, from Dortmund, and they don't really want to sell, you know, and even he, how much of an upgrade is he truly going to be over having to play Araujo or it looks like Kunde at a position. And I would actually see after Real Valladolid, you know, Kunde didn't look completely comfortable. Uh, he was also his first professional debut for Barcelona at home. It's a big moment. It's a big deal for even... Again, he's only 23, reminder for that. But the one play you didn't even mention on the back line for Barcelona is the one who started all three games so far for Xavi. And, you know, I, I think, now this is a safe space, Alan, but, on, but I can tell you that with Kool-Aid, once you get back on Twitter, it's no longer a safe space when talking about Eric Garcia. But that's a hill that I was willing to die on. And, you know, you, we get some right, we get some wrong, right? Sergio Das, I got that one wrong. It looks like I got that one wrong. But Eric Garcia, it looks like I got that one right this season to start the year. His distribution seems like Barca don't need a left center back who's left-footed because you have a left, you have a right center back who can play on the left in Eric Garcia who also can ping 30, 40-yard diagonal balls with his left foot. So it seems like that's not an issue. Um, Xavi's comments about his future captaincy is very telling for a 21-year-old. 
who from the age of 20, having come from being a bit player from Real Madrid, I mean from Man City, to now being starting the first three games for Barca this campaign, who knows what the future holds for Eric Garcia, right? I mean, it's Bayern Munich in less than two weeks, so there's a good chance that obviously Eric Garcia, the Kool-Aids are going to say, how can we possibly have him on the field? Depending on what uh, Bayern Munich forwards or Sadio Mane does to Eric Garcia. But so far, what is proven right to me is that Eric Garcia is by far good enough to be starting in many games in the Liga and against many La Liga attackers this year. So I've said my piece. I've defended Eric Garcia for a long time. But yeah, how do you rate Eric Garcia? Are you as worried about his foils or the issues that we know he has, right? His weaknesses that are on full display as others? Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. Now, you heard me talk last week how Frances and I, you know, we have never really met in person. We have lived thousands of miles away. And while Frances is not currently and hasn't been on the show in quite some time, he did introduce me, and yeah, he introduced me to Barcelona Blog and all that stuff and got this started. More importantly, he did introduce me to NordVPN and the use of VPNs, and it has been essential and important to all of the viewing that I do, whether it's Barca B, whether it's lower Spanish division teams, whether it's the leagues I don't have access to, the Eredivisie, and getting that stuff in Catalonia has been essential to doing this whole thing. So if you're bored of US Netflix, why not take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com backslash thebarcelona, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. Check out my link, nordvpn.com backslash thebarcelona, to get your subscription started today. And I don't need to tell you, but Champions League Soccer is back, streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration starts September 6th. The biggest stars, top teams, and the craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid, yeah, Benzema and Real Madrid, defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League, live starting September 6th, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Now back to the show. No, I like I like Eric, like, to be fair. I do like him. And even last season, everybody was kind of, you know, going after him, especially with the Spanish national team. I always defended him slightly because I was kind of saying, you know, if Luis Enrique and Xavi Hernandez and Pep Guardiola all see something in him, then there's something there. Like, they're not all wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what I will say is having go- gone and signed Koundé, he, he's not playing right back. Right? He, he won't play right back. Speaking after the game on Saturday night, you kind of made it clear, I'm not a right back. I'm a center back who had to play a right back. Araujo is a different case because he's more amenable to playing there. You know, he's kind of much more of the club. He's kind of saying, you know, I'll play wherever on the pitch that I'm needed, basically. That's his mentality. That's his personality. But Kunde is a very unique character from a mentality point of view. He's a killer. He's an absolute killer. And he will have come to Barcelona on the insurance that he's going to be the starting centre-back. I have no, no doubt about it whatsoever. So if they're playing in the back four, I think Koundé starts. And for me, although I like Eric Garcia, I think Araujo is a much better defender than Eric Garcia. Okay. So I think the partnership has to be Koundé and Araujo. You know, I just can't see any other way. And I agree with you. I think there's a surplus of centre-backs there because as well as that, you also have, obviously, um, Gerard Piquet. So it's kind of a difficult rotation to manage kind of a cadre of center backs it's difficult to work that out properly and christensen so, above pk on the depth christensen part. as well, well I, I completely forgot about christensen as well do you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's kind of it's interesting i don't really see the logic in that like i think that you should have a starting 11 players can play themselves into that but i don't see the logic of signing you know christensen and kunde in the same summer if you're going to start 
Christensen and uh, sorry, if we can start P, uh, Araujo and Garcia. Do you know, I just don't get it. Like, I mean, we're already seeing though when Barcelona have the ball, it's a three-four-three. Three. Like this isn't a fourth the back. Yeah. When Barcelona have the ball, especially. I think that's the reason why Balde is starting even over Alba. That Balde is a left winger. That, that's what he is in that system so far, and that's what he's proven to be. Now his final product has been the issue, and again, that's completely understandable. He's 18 years old. He's barely played offensively, and his teammates at lower levels again were also teenagers or. They were third division players. And so it's going to take a little time for him to catch up to speed to be able to. We saw the assist to Lewandowski, of course, against Real Sociedad. But I think it's going to take Balde some time to get that final ball, figure that out. But, I mean, physically his tools are on, on full display so far. Yeah. But again, he is a winger. And I think we, that being Barcelona, we're seeing that it's, they're careening towards that three at the back just in perpetuity, both offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. And just being able to incorporate Kunde, I think it's going to take some time to figure that out as to where Eric Garcia fits, where Kunde fits. Because again, you kind of lose a bit of what Eric Garcia gives you by pushing him farther out in the three at the back system. Because yeah. having Eric Garcia defend on the wing is, you know, that's the kind of thing that I wake up in a cold sweat it's about. Asking for, pro- asking for trouble, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that I think that's clearly the issue with Xavi. And he's, he even made comments about this, that we're concerned with three at the back because defensively we're going to lose something. And I think that's very true in the same way that, that Sergio Busquets, you know, so much of what he defensively contributes, and even in the buildup, is dropping a little bit deeper. But if you have three at the back, you know, will he be dropping as deep? Is that going to create gaps between the midfield line and the forward line? Mm-hmm. I mean, and then again, you're once more asking Pedri to do too much and cover too much ground. So now let's transition a little bit, talk about Real Valladolid. Yeah, uh, just say just before we do, just yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't like the three at the back system. To be honest with you, I don't like it for possession teams. I think it doesn't work. And I think that that's being done in part because he's been playing centre-backs at right-back. If you were to bring in a proper right-back, I think it would change the shape of the team somewhat. Um, and I don't know, maybe that could still be Des because like we already seen from Xavi that if Des doesn't leave this summer and he's still part of the squad, you know, he could be used. Like Dembele was used, you know what I'm saying? Like, so mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. I think having a player of Des ability, and I don't think he's a world-class footballer, I don't think he ever will be. I don't think he's a Barcelona player, but I think that Having a player of his profile on at the right back position could help the team more than hinder it and having a centre back playing there. So I don't know. I think I think it's kind of kind of counterproductive because we need to see how the squad shapes up and we know Barcelona things will change if you know on Thursday night. So we'll see what happens. Is Alonso gonna come in? Will Mounier come in? Will Hector Bellerin come in? And um, will Aubameyang still be here? Will Memphis still be here? Will Des still be here? We don't know. So we'll see what happens. I think the fact that the transfer window has been extended into September, as it always is, is a negative for Barcelona right now because it kind of fosters uncertainty. But, but yeah, we, we can move on to Valladolid. Well, the one fourth, I, I, I should be clear about that. I mean, that seemed to be the right pick, but him going down for multiple weeks with an injury, and that has pretty much killed that negotiation dead. So, I mean, if anything, if I'm Barcelona in this situation, not to overrate fourth too much, but of what he showed so far with Villarreal, of what he showed last spring, and even when you get Munia, and his, even his age, at 25, 26, whatever he is, you know, I, as Barcelona, would kick the can down the road a little bit. And I know they have Bayern again in two weeks, so I don't think I'm going to incorporate a right-back in time for even mm-hmm. that Champions League match. And I would trust Eric Garcia and Araujo and Kunde. Is that the long-term solution? No. But Barcelona, again, they're not trying to build Rome in a day. They're trying to compete for trophies in the spring. So I would actually put, kick that can down the road, see how Forth recovers, and try to revisit that and go back to the well in January, if anything. And then it, it is tougher to do business in January if Villarreal is holding the line. But again, Villarreal is also flying high right now. Again, they're coming off a Champions League campaign where they probably feel like oh, they're going to have a really promising season. And if that turns around for the yellow submarine, that Barcelona is going to be able to strike when they are and it's hot. But yeah, I, I think you're right that Hector Bellerin seems like free transfer he might seem to be the break class in case of emergency option, but I also don't, I don't see how you sit Eric Garcia and you play Hector Bellerin from what I've seen from both players over the last six, seven months, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a good problem for Barca to have, a problem that Barca have not had in quite some time, uh, that kind of depth, even especially, uh, especially we should say, along the back line. Now, kind of going back to, yeah, the, the, the Vital League game, I know that was two days ago. What we saw from that game, and I, I did my five headlines on Sunday, and the headline that won for me was it was a regular day at the office. And that was a feeling and a sensation that 
I don't, I don't know, Alan. Like, I, I had not, obviously, I wasn't at the match. I'm here in America. I'm seven hours away. But I got the sense that Barcelona were able to control, completely control and dominate an opponent in second gear at home in a way that they have not done in arguably over a year. I mean, just looking at some of the numbers here, Busquets was 7 for 7 on his long balls. Pedri was 13 of 13. Just taking care of business in front of 80,000 people, which I want to remind you, too, you know, last year they averaged 54,000 people, and your old colleague Rory Barlow pointed this out on Twitter, 54,000 fans last season. 80,000 between the Gampere, Rio Vallecano, and Rio Delete. But those aren't even matches that are real. I mean, the Gampere is supposed to be an event, but Rio Vallecano and Rio Delete, you know, they're not supposed to pack the house. They haven't for, for multiple seasons now. So you extrapolate those 25,000 people, if they continue to show up, for the Real Valladolid's and the Amerias and the Mallorcas, if, they, if those 25,000 or so additional people over the course of the, all the home games this season continue to show up, that's a lot more tickets sold. And a reminder, too, that for all the financial concern and how is Barcelona going to create revenue, you know, the, as I've said many times, the crypto stuff, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. But gate revenue, that is instant dollars in your pocket. And Barcelona, they were shellacked so much by COVID because of how important their gate revenue is. Uh, and they're the number one team in world football who relies on gate revenue. I believe Tottenham is number two uh, in terms of just needing that gate revenue to support the numbers and their financial reports, the numbers that they give their league. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a really positive sign the way that the Spotify Camp Know has quickly get, got behind and understood this is a winning team. And this team, unlike Rav Arcano, they rewarded that, team, that, that, that crowd with just a comprehensive victory over a team that they very much should be. Well, I think it's not just even financial gain from the gate receipts. It's the whole Camp Nou experience because like, I was there yeah. in the beginning of August. Um, I was kind of up in Barcelona for a while. I went to Camp Nou again, did the whole tour. I'd done it before, but I did it again. And it was quite something, genuinely, because you pay to go on the tour, you go on the tour, you come out, you go through the, um, the, the mega store, And if you buy a football shirt there, like the home shirt, it was 150 euro to buy the shirt. And they were flying off the, the rails because you had tourists coming in from all over the world who were here for their, you know, Camp Nou experience. So they'll pay the money. It's not like you're, you know, from Sabadell and you're coming for the day to go to Camp Nou and you go to the game every week, every second week. You're coming here for a once-in-a-lifetime experience, so you'll pay the money. And that's what Laporta has done by generating this, what he calls the virtuous cycle of spending big on players to bring them in, to raise the profile of the club, to raise excitement around the club, to get people into the grounds, you know, full of ambition, full of excitement, full of uh, buzz. In August, nonetheless, which normally isn't a very busy time for, you know, La Liga games are normally quite low in attendances because everyone's on holiday, that kind of thing. So for that to happen is huge, not just for the effect it has on the players and on the club and the image of the club, but also on the finances. And that's not just gate receipts, it's everything that comes with that. It's the whole package, from buying shirts in the, stadi- in the stadia to you know, doing the tour to all this kind of thing. It's a very multifaceted um, benefit. So for sure, it's a very significant thing. And that's probably the most significant thing from that game, coupled with the performances you mentioned. It was just a case, basically, of, in my opinion, a bunch of very good football players playing in a pretty coherent system, much more coherent than what they set up against Real Sociedad the week before and doing the business. You know, the Hafinha was fantastic. I thought Dembele was very good as well. Lewandowski, Pedri, Gavi, Busquets, as you mentioned. Like, there was just so much attacking talent in the pitch. There was a good atmosphere in the crowd. Um, it felt straightforward, as you mentioned. It was just a simple case of a very good football team overpowering, overpowering what was admittedly a very poor football team. I think Valdez will struggle this season. I, I picked them to go down in relegation. But yeah, I think the kind of ease of that victory and the confidence of the victory and the swagger of the victory is very significant for Barcelona because it, I think for the first time in a long time, it felt as if business as usual. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? It was kind of like, exactly. this is the old Barcelona. We may struggle against Bayern Munich in two weeks' time. We may be up for a battle there, but we can go into that game with confidence that we're firing on all cylinders. We've Robert Lewandowski busting up back heels. You know, it's... It's quite a positive atmosphere around the club. And that's what people, I think, who criticize Joan Laporta and his activation of those levers don't understand. Because they don't understand how important self-perception is to Barcelona, Barcelona fans, Barcelona players. 
you need to feel like you're one of the greatest players in the world you're at the greatest club in the world if you want to represent Barcelona in its fullest and for a long time Barcelona hasn't been that it hasn't had that whereas now you could argue they do so yeah, I think Xavi's projects there's a lot of work to do I mentioned some of the kinks in the system I think I've detected but you can't argue that they've not improved and they're not in a much better place now than they were previously and I think that that celebration of football following on from you know the disappointment against Real Vallecano kind of consolidated and confirmed that. So it was much more significant than just three points for me. Well, yeah, and we are seeing the early going, too, that, you know, I had said when, when I brought on uh, Jake Fenner from the Bavarian Football Works that, you know, we know what Lewandowski is going to bring. We knew what he'd provide on the field. He's a known commodity. We, I, I even predicted with the 40 goals. We knew the goals that he would score, right? And goals immediately equals wins. That equals three points. That equals trophies. We knew what Lewandowski was going to be on the field in particular. We also know he has no resale value. And that was something, of course, that Neutral said. Well, Barcelona's a financial issue. He has no resale value. Unlike Koundé and the other pieces that were brought in. He is, though. Sorry to you, but like, people always say that. But like, Barcelona don't sell players. Do exactly. Right, right, right. I think as if Barcelona or Borussia Dortmund are going to sell to a bigger club or, or, or be Leipzig. It's like, Barcelona yeah. don't sell anybody. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And when they do, they can't. Right? As Memphis <laughs> and Aubameyang. So, but in the case of Lewandowski, I think, thankfully covering Messi all these years on this show, and especially in the 2018 season, where I felt like twice a week or once a week, I had to figure out a new way to just to talk about Messi, and I had nothing to say about his teammates. And I think Lewandowski, thankfully, his teammates are a bit more balanced and talented than I would argue that Messi even had then. I think his team is, I wouldn't say more talented, I, I just mean more balanced throughout the squad, or he has more help, if you will, on the wings with Dembele and Messina and, and, and Ansu returning as well. But for Lewandowski, you know, I don't think I'm going to get tired of talking about him this year because, again, it's a new, new exciting thing to, to speak about. And that goal, second goal especially, like that back heel off the defender, it's a different level of class that Barcelona was certainly missing last year without Messi. And even, the, even with Messi, this is Lewandowski, we go back to 2015 Luis Suarez. Because I think that was the last time that Luis Suarez had this, had this gravity. And Luis Suarez was in that class. He was in Lewandowski's class five, six, seven years ago. But we're talking 2015, we're, uh, 20, yeah, 2015, maybe 2016. And then by that time, it had really petered out. And even in 2016, I wouldn't say that Luis Suarez was known for his pressing acumen and for his leadership on the field, right? Even then, the body language, you could see the way he would talk to younger players and the like. But there is a seriousness to Lewandowski on the field. I don't want to overstate that. I don't want to huff and puff and blow hot smoke about that. But the way he was directing traffic to Ansu when he came on, there is a constant, and I think that's the word that I want, a constant seriousness, a constant movement to Lewandowski. It's not like he's a completely tireless player who's just running around like he's 20 years old and has no care about his lungs. He's in pristine physical shape, but you could tell that there's a leadership to his gravity. He isn't just pulling the opposition by being the number nine for Barcelona, by being this scary player in the box. He's making the right runs, and he's making sure that this team is moving forward step by step, minute by minute. minute. I mean, you could just see his body language for, for, his, for his teammates. And I think that was something that I was told by Bayern fans would happen, that I was kind of underappreciating just how magnanimous of a personality he is both on the field and off the field, and the consideration that this player has towards winning trophies and what that takes. And I think that so far, yes, the four goals are cool. Even the first goal, I mean, that's a high level of difficulty. This is just a number nine that Barcelona has not had in a long time. And I want to remind people, too, that Barcelona's systems for the last 30 years now, starting with Croy, you know, it, it wasn't necessary that Barcelona required a number nine because of the greatness of Lionel Messi over the last 20 years. But Barcelona have had a ton of just fantastic world-class number nines. And that has always been in their best years at the at this epicenter of their projects. And once again, Barcelona has a, a sun to orbit around. And that sun, for as good as Busquets, and you could talk about Piquet, you could talk about Alba and the other veterans, or you could talk about Pedri and how important he is, and Ansu and Dembele and Rafinha. But Lewandowski, it seems to me, Alan, even though he's a new recruit, he is the sun that this Barcelona team will orbit around this year to win a trophy. Yeah, I think that, you know, it was evident when he scored, I think it was the first goal, and he pulled Koundé towards him and he's talking to Koundé and instructing him about something whether it was how you play the next ball or will you make this run or whatever but he didn't see score the goal and he was already thinking about how to improve in the next play he was never just celebrating you know I don't know doing um 
the Antoine Griezmann Fortnite dance or whatever it was. Like he was always focused on the next moment. You know what I'm saying? Like it reminded yeah, me of huh? drive by for Antoine Griezmann over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, he's not playing enough. I mean, he's not playing, getting enough minutes for those 40 million euros. So I'm worried about Ant. Next time I do talk about Antoine Griezmann, it's probably not going to be a great thing to say on the podcast. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, because I think he's in that point of his career now. It's a bit like Michael Jordan in The Last Dance. I don't know if you watched that like during lockdown. But, oh, yeah. But, yeah. He's amazing. But like he spoke about in the early years of his career, he was focused purely on himself. But as he got older, he realized that to win championships, he needs to be in line with everybody else. And I think Lewandowski knows the same. And like what he wants more than anything is to score 40 goals and to win the Champions League and win La Liga. Because he wants to show Bayern that, no, you were wrong to try and sign Erling Haaland. You were wrong to not give me the contract that I wanted when I wanted it, how I wanted it. You were wrong to allude to the fact that maybe we made the right decision by selling you because now we have this talented core of fluid attackers that Julian Nagelsmann can build around. Like his ego will be hurting from that that kind of rhetoric, you know what I mean? After all the years of service he gave to Bayern Munich, so I think for him, he knows that for him to succeed, he needs a team to succeed, and he wants to bring all these young players he has with him up to his level because the likes of Pique and Busquets and Alba, who've won it all, are no longer on that level. Like let's be honest, like, they're all way over the hill in terms of what they've experienced and what they've lived in their careers. So for him to have that mentality now. And to work with players like Kunde, um, like Araujo, like uh, Pedri and Gavi, like Hafinha, like Dembele, who be amenable to this kind of influence and this hunger is very, very valuable. Also, from a footballing perspective, I've always said that having a striker who leads a line like that, who can offer it as a reference point, as you mentioned and alluded to, is so valuable because it creates space for your other players to do things. It creates space for Pedri to break from the field and score. It creates space for Rafinha to come in off the right side. It creates space for Dembele to come in off the left side or Anzu to pop up in the false line position. So having Lewandowski there and having the preoccupation that he causes defenders is beneficial not just for the team, not just for him, but also for the kind of role players in the team who can step up and do things because they have more space, because they're afforded more space, because of the danger that Lewandowski poses. So it really is a fantastic signing. I mean, I always said, people are talking about, I remember one point in the window, oh, it's more important for Barcelona to sign a right-back than Lewandowski because they have Aubameyang. I was like, what kind of drugs are you smoking? Like, No, it isn't. Like, Lewandowski is going to come in and score at least 30 goals, probably close to 40. He's going to confer legitimacy to the project. You're going to get two good seasons at him at least. Like, it's a game-changing signing. So, yeah, like I said, we all knew how many goals he was going to score, but I've been surprised by... Not just his professionalism, but also his ability in linking up, his flair, his confidence. Like for me, this seems to be a situation where he's got one final dance, one last dance, use the terminology of the Michael Jordan documentary, and he knows he has to seize it with both hands. He's loving life in Barcelona. His wife is obviously loving life in Barcelona. She's posting things on Instagram in Catalan. Like they're loving this moment, this opportunity. So I think it's a huge signing, and it could be the game changer that turns Barcelona from you know an elite European team into one of the serious contenders for the European Cup in La Liga. Which is something they were not up to the standard for the last few seasons. Now, on the right wing, it seems like there's a little bit of discourse, and we're going to have this discourse all year, a problem that isn't a problem, if you will. And that is the Rafinha and Dembele both are more successful on the right side. And even in that, by the lead match, there, by the 70th minute, there were 20 attacks that had gone down the right. There were six attacks that had come through the middle and six attacks that had gone on the left. And while Ansu hadn't entered the game yet, and Ansu is the most natural left winger on Barcelona, more so than Dembele and more so than Rafinha, who are both more comfortable on the right. But I don't feel like in the course of that game, while everything was running through Rafinha, there was diagonal ball after diagonal ball to him. The, there was, and then obviously the diagonal cross from Rafinha to Lewandowski is how the first goal was scored. But I felt like last season, when Barcelona, just due to the quality of Jordi Alba in comparison, in comparison to what's happening on the right, Barcelona would have those numerical overloads on the left side. They would wait, they would kind of pause play, and then they would switch over to the right to give Dembele just this wide open 1v1 against a defender. And while they're not necessarily doing that as much this season, it is more a Rafinha, the quality of Lewandowski is pulling that extra defender anyway. The quality of Pedri, he's attracting a bit more attention, is pulling that extra midfielder anyway. And Dembele being on the left side 
has to keep that right back and that right center back honest because of the quality that Dembele can exhibit. And then you have that left back being, whether we have yet to see Alba, but whether it's Alba or Balde, an overlapping left back. That position has also not changed in that way with Balde pushing high up the field. So I'm not so concerned with having to choose between Rafinha and Dembele. I think the course still goes that it's going to be Rafinha likely to start when it's 0-0, Dembele on the left, Ansu will come off the bench, continually come off the bench until he's truly ready, physically in shape to be able to do it. And that's not for weeks and months now. We were told that that's not for months. So just believe that those who tell us that it's not going to be for months until they're going to be able to trust him there. But then the minute that goal is scored, they switch. And it's Dembele on the right and Rafinha on the left. And just because they didn't immediately bang in another goal when that switch happened doesn't mean that there was anything wrong or there was some kind of insane drop in quality. But, it, it, you know, do you think that that's going to be an issue? That there's going to be consternation because of Rafinha on the right when both Dembele and Rafinha should probably fit in that spot? Well, listen, logically, you'd have Rafinha and Dembele for the right, Aubameyang and Lewandowski for the middle, Ferran and Anzu for the left. And that's how it would be. That's how Xavi wanted his two players per position ideal. But that's not how things work, really, as we've seen. Um, and the nature of playing two inverted wingers or whatever means it does become a bit of a competition because it's not just a matter of Rafinha competing with um, Dembele and Ferran competing with Anzu. It's all four of them competing together, essentially. And we've seen that and how little minutes Ferran has been afforded so far this season. My thinking in it is that, like you said, when Anzu is fully fit, he'll start, but that could be a very long time because I think that Anzu has had so many injury problems over the years that Xavi is not going to use him until he's absolutely sure he's fully fit. And that's going to take time because Barcelona can afford to wait. They can afford to use him as a super sub for this whole season, maybe even, because mm-hmm. of the options they have in attack. Um, if it comes down to a straight battle between Rafinha and Dembele, I'm a bit biased of that connections to Brazil lived in Brazil before in the past, love the country, love the footballers, love all that kind of thing. But I know for a fact that if I'm picking one of them to represent me over the course of a full season, it's not even a question. Not even a question. I do not trust Usman Dembele to perform over 12 months. He's never done it before. I don't think he ever will do it, to be honest with you. He was I thought you were going to zag me there. You had the what? zig. I thought, I, I thought you were going to zag me there. You had the zig. I thought you were going to give me the zag. Okay. No, <laughs> yeah, so, listen, Dembele is a better footballer than Rafinha. There's no doubt about it. His talent right. is extraterrestrial. But his mentality isn't right, to be honest with you. And he's never proven that he has what it takes to succeed over the course of a full season. He was brilliant in the back end of last season, coincidentally, when his contract was coming to an end. Right? He thought he'd get good offers in the summer, didn't get them, ended up staying at Barcelona. He loves working with Xavi. I think he'd be a very good player for Barcelona. He has so much talent. But Rafinha is from Porto Alegre. He grew up playing these hard scrabble Varzea games, which is like, you know, players playing without shirts, without shoes, in these rough pitches, in these rough areas, the biggest ghetto in Porto Alegre in the south of Brazil. Like, he's a tough, tough, tough guy. And he's going to fight for every single opportunity he gets in a Barcelona shirt. He fought so hard to get to Barcelona in the first place, spurning Chelsea's advances, forced him to that move, taking a huge risk. And I would bet that he is going to be so consistent for Barcelona and he's only going to get better for Barcelona as well. He's going to maybe start for Brazil in the World Cup. His profile could rise exponentially. He's got a, what, a four-year deal, five-year deal. Dembele is a two-year deal. I think if you look at investments, there's more tied up in Rafinha than there is in Dembele, especially if his profile rises in the way it could over the next few months. So I would always bank on Rafinha for that situation. I think that he's the one to defend, basically. He's... He's the horse you want to have your money on, in my opinion, just based on his character, his mentality, and his ability. Um, and I think Dembele definitely has a role to play, but I don't see him being the one to claim that position on the right wing outright because of his lack of consistency, his lack of competitive drive, maybe. I don't know. I think that in a couple of seasons' time, we can see a striker leading the line with Rafinha on the right and Fadi on the left, I think, in the ideal world. But for sure, having Dembele there right now does increase competition on the right and on the left, and it gives Xavi a good headache because he has to figure out a way to work all these players together. But I think that in this moment where Fadi is coming back from um, injury and trying to regain full fitness, it's very useful to have Dembele there because you can switch the players in each wing and you can ease Fadi into the environment, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think... 
not an ideal situation because I think that it's better, like I said earlier, to have a starting eleven, kind of a guaranteed starting eleven. You can bring yeah. players in based on performance. I think when you have several players who expect to start, um, it can cause problems. And we'll see over the course of the season how Xavi manages that. And like he will manage it well because of his, his character. But I think it does create unhelpful issues sometimes because as soon as somebody is not performing, the media will be on the back of the player, all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting team. Um, like I said, my horse is Rafinha. I like him a lot. Um, but you know, who, who knows? Maybe Dembele can prove he has what it takes to take that next step and become a truly world-class player after threatening to for so many years. Well, I think on the point of that Gala 11 that you just mentioned, I think uh, we'll kind of close it here now, uh, talking about Barcelona, that there is a Gala 10. I know that's not really a term, but right now I think we saw against Real Madrid, that's Xavi's Gala 10 at the moment. I think he wants, at this moment of the season, if there's no left-back coming or no right-back coming, he wants Eric Garcia on the field, he wants Araujo on the field, he wants Koundé on the field, there's Sagan's in goal, Busquets is necessary on the field. We saw what happened even against Real, uh, Real Sociedad. They won 4-1, but again, the, the composure that Barcelona has when Busquets is on the field is just night and day when there's anybody else in that position. Pedri is obviously there. And then you have, right now it's Gabi. Gabi started all three matches so far. Kessier, who I'm very, very high on. I, I think it's very possible that Kessier takes that spot. But Gabi, he did become the first player born in 2003 to hit 50 La Liga appearances. You know, he is getting the starts. He is a starter right now. 2004. Okay. 2004. Or 2004, rather. Yeah. And Kessie is going to have to take that from him. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting old. These, these numbers are... You're aging him. You're aging yeah. the fella already. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, and, and Gabi there. Then, as we said, that rotation of Dembele, Rafinha, and Lewandowski with Ansu coming off the bench and Ferran Torres lost in the wilderness. Like, that five is who they are. And so, for Xavi to already have kind of established this gala 10 that I think we're going to see against Bayern Munich again in two weeks. And the only reason I keep bringing that up, yes, there are matches in between that, but the next chapter in this season story is going to be written in that, on that Tuesday against Bayern in less than two weeks. So that's the next chapter of the season that, that's coming in Europe. And these, unfortunately, in this era, really since I started this show, Bayern Munich has continued to be, right? There was Roma, there was Liverpool, and Bayern Munich has continued in the last four seasons to be this benchmark to where is Barcelona. Where are they as a team? Who are they? How good are they? Can they compete? What kind of championship mindset they have? Now, last point, not well, no last point. That was the last point on Barcelona. Alan, before we get you out of here, I got a body to put you on the spot with three things, right? I think there was a lot of discourse and there is negative discourse. I always say on this pod, you know, not to pat myself on the back here, but I always say that try to take into consideration the opponent that Barcelona played in the Liga before you cry about the result. Check to see that Osasuna isn't very good at home. Check to see that Osasuna isn't on a good run of form. And I, I'm using them as an example because if they punch Barca in the mouth on the road this season, I'm saying just expect that. You know, they're, they're a quality side. Same thing with Villarreal. Don't expect Barcelona is going to take three points every single time. Same thing with, I said, with Rayo Varicano. That was 0-0. But Rayo also had a pretty good preseason, believe it or not. They got some, I know results preseason don't matter, but they were batting above their weight in the preseason with some of those games. Getting results against, we'll say, bigger sides, if you will. And they were looking good. And they were on a good, you know, even preseason run of form. They were ready to start the season. And they looked it under Iriola. But give me, Alan, three things that La Liga fans should be looking out for. Because I'm trying to get Kool-Aids and Medardistas. They should do the same thing. Not to root for other teams, but to watch La Liga. Because, again, with the financial interests of the Premier League, with the issue that La Liga have had in registering players and bringing in players, this league is... On, especially in the American and English-speaking market and the Canadian market and the British market, for, and even in Nigeria, like in India, for English-speaking areas, and many of the listeners of this podcast, there is, I think, going to be something after this summer in the Liga that says they lost quality. All they did was lose quality. Why am I watching Spanish football? Why am I watching outside of Barca Real Madrid if no other teams have quality footballers because they all just kept getting bought and only two teams can even bring in good footballers? So I want three three reasons or three things to watch for in the Liga this year. Um, yeah, it is an interesting moment in Spanish football because I think this summer, more than most, has been a real blow in terms of financially. Like losing Diego Carlos, a starting centre-back for Champions League club to a mid-table, lower mid-table Premier League team. You know, losing and he's lost for season. And then and he's, he's not even playing this year. So he's yeah. not even like he's a, he's not even an ambassador for the Liga. Yeah. He's just on the show. Yeah. 
Isaac as well going to Real Sociedad. You know, Carlos Soler today, the kind of face of Valencia going to PSG. It's a bad time, really. In that one hurts too. La Liga outside of the big two, you could Oof. say. Soler hurts. Soler yeah, hurts. Even bringing in Cavani instead of Soler. I mean, like Cavani's a geriatric. Like he's 35 years old. He's injury prone. Like he's a faded star, you know. So it is difficult at the moment to look at it positively. Maybe by the end of the window, it'll be different. But if I were to pick three things this season, um, and not just three clubs, you mean just three things in general, right? I want to give you as much space okay. As, okay. As, 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 you, as you need. So I would say the European places this season is going to be a very interesting battle, for sure. That's probably the most competitive thing this year because I think that Barcelona and Real Madrid are going to get a lot of points, I would say. I would say we could look be back in the days of them racking up, I don't know, 90 points, that kind of area, because of the quality they have in comparison to the others. It's going to be a two-horse title race for sure, I would say. We're going to see... Leva and Benzema fighting in for that golden boot and we see the two teams fighting for the title. Who wins? Could, I think at the moment you could flip a coin, really. I think it's that, that simple. It's mm-hmm. going to be quite competitive, quite close. So that's kind of a, not a foregone conclusion, but that's what it's going to be. But in the European places, just so many things to look out for. We have the Seville clubs, Sevilla and Real Betis in opposite forms. Sevilla are on the way down, Betis on the way up. Sevilla full of negativity, crisis almost, that is full of positivity and optimism. So that's an interesting kind of mini narrative to follow. It's the only city in the country where those two teams are in such a straight battle, I think. Um, I don't think Madrid has it, I don't think any other con- city in the country has it. Um, then you have the likes of, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Real Sociedad, Villarreal and Atletico Madrid, who are kind of, you know, fighting for the rest of the U- European places too. I would say Atletico are on a level above. I would say they'll finish third for sure. You know, they not started the season particularly well. I would back them to finish third by a considerable distance, but the four places up for grabs between the other, I would say, four contenders in Real Sociedad, Real Betis, Sevilla, and Villarreal. And it could be really any of those four teams that make it, which would be very interesting for sure. I've seen the Premier League, how they've made a narrative around the top four place. And then, of course, there's the Conference League place and the Europa League place between, I don't know, maybe Valencia, Athletic Club, Asasuna as well are up there. So. There's things to look out for there, for sure, in European places. Two, I would say... Oh, I mean, you kind of said Benzema and, and Lewandowski. I'll, gi- I'll give you one and two. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think, because that's two, like, they are old. We can't deny that. Like, they're, yeah. they're in their mid-30s, but they're still world-class, and they're still phenomenal footballers, and they're still, for different reasons, they want to prove they're the top dog, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, Benzema is the best striker in La Liga last season. He was. But Messi had gone, and there was no real contender like Iago Aspas. I mean, come on, really? Like, that's not really a proper rival for that number one spot, right? I mean, yeah. Aspas is a brilliant player, yeah. but he's not a world-class footballer. Well, that's really that's the ne- question, right? Who's going to yeah. be... I'm wondering who's going to be that third striker, that third talismanic figure that is going... Right? Because you're right. Like, Iago Aspas is still maybe that player. Like, he might be number three on that list, right? Is it- he started well this season as well, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, is, is Jao Felix going to ascend? I mean, that's one of the questions I have for Atletico Madrid, right? Is he going to ascend? I know he's on a number nine, but is he going to become this must-see forward in the Liga? He's on all the promotional stuff because when the Liga, you know, Liga do need stars to promote. And if it's not Barcelona and Real Madrid, then Jao Felix has, has to definitely be one of those players. But yeah, looking up and down the rest of the, these Liga teams, I mean, again, losing Carlos Soler, there's an argument that non Barcelona, Real Madrid. Casillas was a top five player in the Liga. Yeah, maybe. So. I mean, top. I mean, there's an argument that he was that important, not only to Valencia but to the other teams in the Liga to be one of their their stars. So I do certainly wonder. I mean, I guess that's the, that's I guess that's the exciting part of it. Even even watching Real Sociedad with Kubo, like there will be new stars created. I guess I'm not to say I'm taking the third one from you, but I kind of want you to extrapolate on my third one for you that. I'm interested to see and watching these other teams to see which players become more household names around the Liga. And the problem for the Liga is if no players do that, if there are no stars, new stars created, right? Like if Carlos Soler is gone, who is going to step into that place? Because obviously Danny Parejo, he was never really marketable for Valencia. Now even Villarreal is learning that, you know, he's just an old captain. He's not a marketable player, but... Who is Valencia now going to be on the market in that spot? Is it going to be a, a, a Yunus uh, Musa, right? Is it going to be this next player? Do they have that next player? Or Valencia going to just not get results and struggle? 
And you can't have 20 or you can't have 18 teams in the Liga all struggling and not having stars. There are, are going to be players that are going to step up. So I'm really interested to see who those new stars are going to be and who the league also pushes and if the league can handle pushing new stars. Well, that's it. I don't think they can, to be honest. Like, I'm really critical of the way La Liga market itself. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. the YouTube channel, I don't know if you've seen that recently, but this season they've got rid of all commentary and they've edited it strangely. It's bizarre. Like, I mean, it's, just, it's the only top five league without commentary. It's just poor. And then regarding, you know, stars, say the top two, it's difficult because if you look at strikers, say, who are typically the most sexy players in, the, in football, you have, you know, Joao Felix, you mentioned, who's, I think, had a really big season this year, but he's not an out-and-out goal scorer. He's not going to score yeah. and compete with, like, um, the two lads. I mean, that's more maybe Morata's territory outside of Atletico. I mean, there's not many strikers there. I mean, Jared Moreno, who's a very good player, but he's injury-prone. Um, Isaac has left the club. Sevilla don't have a striker. Borja Iglesias is a good player, but he's not an elite goal scorer. So there's not really many strikers to choose from outside of the elite and maybe Lago Aspas. And then, yeah, there's always the chance that other players will step up. And I think for people who like and love Spanish football and follow Spanish football, they will learn about those players and they will get to know those players and they will champion those players. But it's difficult, given how La Liga markets itself to the outside world. It's created this kind of um, echo chamber where if you watch La Liga, you watch La Liga TV. You don't watch BT Sports or whatever. So it's kind of a bit isolated there. And I think that they don't have the economic know-how to pivot in a way that showcases the talent they have. So even if there are young players coming through, they can't market them in the same way other leagues can. So I think that's a big challenge for them for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be negative, but I'm not wholly positive this season about La Liga I think that outside the top two and the European places maybe it's difficult to find guys who are capable of stepping up and being major characters because that's what football fans want they want characters they want storylines they want narratives they can invest themselves in whereas there's too many anonymous anonymous footballers in La Liga in my opinion and that takes away from it because the Premier League for instance is the best in the world maybe even in you know in the world of football at you know, building narratives around their clubs, even the most the smaller clubs. You know, Brentford, they're a really sexy recruitment model. You know, Newcastle can yeah. lead through questionable means. Can this giant get back on its feet? You know, there's all these different narratives in different clubs, so every single game is something writing on it. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's lacking that in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that these stars do step up and new narratives are created, but at the moment, a week before the transfer window closes, I'm not wholly confident or optimistic about it to be honest with you I think that Barcelona and Real Madrid will continue to carry the bulk of the league's uh, commercial attractiveness to them so I think it will be that way for a while yeah for sure I know these are two former Real Madrid players but I was thinking the other day what's the difference between Borja Mayoral and Hugo Doro other than like three years but there's nothing yeah. and right and I think those moves to me kind of summed up what the Liga was right it's like it kind of looking at the transfers around the league I mean the big reinforcements for all these teams were just coming from La Liga. They were coming from other Spanish teams, and they were either running down their contracts, and it felt a bit like a carousel, as you said, of these mid-card players, like not yeah, these you know, stars. These and also just with the La Liga thing, it's like with the registrations, it's, 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 it's good in the short term because it ensures the clubs are healthy, but it's damaging the product, you know what I mean? Because like, oh, you've read Betis, who finished fifth last season, and they might have to sell William Jose to be able to sign Hector Bellerin. Like, there's two days left in the window, three days left in the window. They've not registered Claudio Bravo or William Jose, and they want to mm -hmm. sign Hector Bellerin, and they can't. Arsenal have literally terminated his contract, practically, and they can't sign him. Like, that's not healthy, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, so, yeah. like, I'm not a huge fan of Tebas at all, to be honest with you, but I think what is happening to La Liga right now is very dangerous because the decisions you make in the short term are harmful in the medium to long term, do you know what I'm saying? Like, so... Yeah. Yep. And, and to me, that puts more of an emphasis on European competition then for the Real Madrid and the Barcelona's. And of course, Barca doesn't win that argument with Real Madrid, unfortunately. <laughs> but all right, so we, unfortunately, we ended on a sour note after a commanding victory over Real by the lead. But Alan, it was also a commanding performance from you as well. Thanks for coming on, as always. I want to remind people to check the show notes below, give you a follow on Twitter. Uh, even the things you retweet, even the articles that you promote from other people, that's, I say, the reason, the main reason why I would follow someone like Alan, because not only do you have a good opinion yourself and you do some great writing yourself, but you also showcase others who just are writing tremendous stuff. And uh, 
yeah, the written word kind of gets lost here in the podcast world. But Alan, uh, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure, Dan. No worries. Um, happy as always to talk to you about Barcelona and Nelly. But... So give Alan a follow and uh, give us a follow too on Twitter and at the Barcelona Pod at Health and D13 for me. We're on Patreon, YouTube. We have our merch store as well as the Facebook group. Answer the question on LinkedIn. You know where to find us. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Go to Barcelona.